If you will please take your Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning again. And for reading the Word of God this morning, I would ask for you to stand. We're going to go back to the 35th verse of the 12th chapter. The 35th verse of the 12th chapter. And Jesus is now responding to the to the crowd who have asked a question here. Uh, we have read uh, in the law of Moses there that the uh, that the Christ, or we read from the Old Testament, not the law of Moses, but the Old Testament, but the law. They used the term law. That Christ, the Christ, or the Messiah, remains forever, and that was found in the book of Daniel when the scripture says there that the, that the ancient of days gave to him an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away and it will not end so they say it will be forever how do you say then and he asked the question how do you say then that the son of man must be lifted up and then they asked the question who is this son of man so Jesus responds, and now beginning with verse number 35, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the light, excuse me, in the darkness, does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe for again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, but uh, and, <coughs> excuse me, and does, <coughs> and does not receive my words, has a judge. The, ju the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me command a commandment that to say and what, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I have said as the Father has told me. May the Lord bless His word. You may be seated. We're preaching this morning on the theology of unbelief. The theology of unbelief. This discourse that uh, is given here explains verses 34 to 36 here of John chapter 12. This discourse also officially closes 
John's tracing of Christ's public ministry. So we start with verse or chapter 13 begins with the word now. And that's John's way here of introducing a new subject. And so for the next chapters from uh, through chapter 17, he is going to now minister to his disciples. And then from chapters 18 through through 21, it's going to record his death and resurrection and then post-resurrection ministry to the disciples. And, and, uh, but in this section from 13 to 17, he will address their duties and the resources which uh, he will provide for them in order to continue his ministry in uh, their continuing his ministry in his absence as he goes to the right hand of the Father. So, the chapter 12 here closes with the judgment on the Jewish authorities. The Jewish leadership had already determined that Jesus must die. That was back in chapter 11, verse 53. So, from that day on, they made plans to put him, that is Jesus, to death. Now, the crowds, hoping that he was going to establish the kingdom, were also becoming disappointed and now turning hostile. And that's where we looked at verse number 34. We have heard that from the law. You, you, you keep emphasizing the importance of the scripture. Well, we're telling you. We believe the scripture. And the scripture says that the Christ remains forever. Yeah, they, they don't really understand the scripture. And yes, uh, that's what... Uh, Daniel prophesied concerning the Christ. And he will. But not before he dies. The death and resurrection are mysteries in the Old Testament Scripture. But they are absolutely necessary for Jesus Christ to rule and to reign forever and ever. So the Jews understood this uh, that uh, when Jesus said how he must that he must be lifted up they understood that to mean he was going to die they already knew that the that the authorities wanted to put him to death so they were uh, they were a little confused there and so they're asking who is this son of man Jesus that was one of Jesus favorite phrases to refer to himself and I think it refers back to the book of Daniel and where one like a son of man came to the ancient of days. He's identifying himself with the human race, the son of man. He is the son of God. So he identifies himself with his heavenly father. And that got him into trouble as well. So Jesus can't say anything without getting himself into trouble. Who is this son of man? And Jesus... I said, I, I'm the son of man. So they understood that the lifting up meant his being put to death. So now Jesus' response to their confusion at this point was to point them to the light. You have the light with you a little while longer. Walk in the light while you have it. Lest the darkness overtake you. This points is clear back here to the prologue as well. That prologue is very important. Those first uh, verses of the Gospel of John found in the first chapter is called the prologue there. And in that prologue, uh, we read in verses 9 through 13, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him Without him was not anything made that was made. That's what we read, we read all. He's the one who's the creator. God's the instrument by which God created all things. So he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world, and I, I believe there John is referring to the Gentiles, did not know him. Because we read there in the Psalms that 
that uh, he chose Israel for himself, but he pretty much left the Gentiles to themselves and to uh, be deceived by the false gods. So they did not receive him. They, they, I mean, they did not know him, excuse me. They did not know him. You can't receive a Savior that you don't know. And then he says he came to his own, his own things, and his own people, or his own things, I think, has a reference to Judaism, to, uh, to the law of Moses, to what God had established and revealed there uh, in, uh, through the, in the children of Israel, see? So he came to his own things, but his own people did not receive him. Isn't that interesting? Gentiles don't know him, and the Jews do not receive him. And yet he's the one who made them all. Wow. But, and here's the, you know, I'm always grateful for, the, for that contrast. But, to all, both Jew and Gentile, who did receive him, and they did so because of the grace of God. And this is what John's again explained. That's what he's explaining in his in his book is how God has worked through Jesus to bring into the world a Savior who will be the Savior of all of His people. And how He does it. And to those who did receive Him and, and those who believed in His name, He gave the right, the authority to become children of God. That is a marvelous truth. The only ones in the Bible who are called children of God are those who are who came from a direct creative act of God. Human beings, the only human being that could be called the son of God was Adam because God formed him of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. All Adam's offspring are the children of man. But because Jesus came and became a child of man and made, then through his death made it possible for children of man to become sons of God. Isn't that a marvelous truth? And we are we're recreated by the direct act of God called the new birth. We've been born again. And this gives us the authority to become sons of God, children of God. I like the, really, I, I, it should be called sons of God, who were born, and, and it's not a demeaning of ladies by any, by any stretch. Who were born, and here's a, a powerful truth, not of blood, so it's not your Jewish birth, whether you were a child of Abraham, nor of the will of the flesh, that is a couple who decide to have children, nor of the will of man, not your call, but of God, who were born. And as I've pointed out many times, I had nothing to do with my birth. I, I came into this world because my parents had a child. And I had nothing, no say in the matter at all. I, didn't, I wasn't able to choose my mom. I wasn't able to choose my dad. And in the, in the second birth, it's the same way. It's the will of God. The, nor, the, nor the will of man, but of God. That is the will of God. So the responsibility now to walk in the light is being pressed upon them. See, this is what what he's doing here. He says, you, you guys are confused. I'm telling you that you don't need to be confused. I'm here. You need to hear me. You need to hear my words and you need to believe them. So you need to understand your responsibility to walk in the light 
And even though uh, Jesus knew that they would not receive him, yet he pressed upon them this, this obligation. And here we find the collusion of two important truths, the responsibility of man and the sovereign determination of God. And this, I think, is probably confuses people more than anything else in all the world. And we're going to address that a little later here in the message. But the third thing I want to say by way of introduction is the impending rejection of Jesus now is about to present a problem of monumental proportions to the Jewish nation. Their judgment had come. And unbelief here is would result in permanent judgment because they refused to walk in the light. The Jewish prediction, or excuse me, the Jewish expectation of the Messiah was very high at this point. See, we're in this week, this Passover week, so we have millions of people have jammed into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus then presented himself to them on what we call Palm Sunday, riding in on a donkey, on a really a donkey colt. And they expected with excitement received him. Citing Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now they, they're not quoting exactly that, that psalm. They're adding to it, even the king of Israel. But they have come to understand that Psalm 18 is an anticipation of their Messiah. So here they are waving the palm branches in celebration of their king. But uh, as we pointed out here in, in a previous message, he didn't come riding on a horse in battle triumph as he will at the second coming, riding upon a white horse, conquering and to conquer, but he rode on a donkey's colt, a symbol there of submissive peace. So the Son of Man then was to be glorified, not in victory over the Roman oppressors, but by being crushed in obedience to the Father's will to provide salvation and deliverance from sin that's the problem your problems have nothing to do with who who operates in washington your problems have to do what what rules in your heart that's your problem sin jesus came to bring victory over sin. And the only way that he would could bring victory over sin is through his submission to the Father's will that he die and therefore bring peace. And through this, he will be glorified. He's going to be crushed in obedience to the Father's will. The expectation, reality, quickly plunged the people. It's anticipation into hostile unbelief which resulted in the Lamb of God being sacrificed for the sins of His people. You see, here's the, here's the, the kicker. Jesus has to die. The unbelief of the people is the means that God used in His will to bring about the, the death of the Savior. The same people who received Him in the triumphal entry and celebrated Him as their coming King are now going to cry, crucify, crucify. We don't want this man. And it's all in response to, again, go back to John chapter 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist announced, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And we understand when John uses this term, he's not referring when he he's not referring to every single individual, but he's referring to more than simply the nation of Israel, and not even not even the nation of Israel, because there's only a remnant in that nation, which we'll see also. This unbelief of the Jews then questioning 
Now, the Messiah's claims was a significant contribution to God's will that he be rejected and crucified. Substantial unbelief among the Jews before the the, uh, resurrection would also greatly contribute to their resistance of the gospel after the resurrection, which I think was necessary for the gospel then to be spread to the rest of the world through the Apostle Paul, who becomes the uh, uh, Apostle to the Gentiles. So the scripture in uh, Romans chapter 9 through 11, that's a very important text, explains that the unbelief of the Jews was necessary to the Lord's rejection, which was now proved by the, uh, by the Apostle John in the text before us. And at the same time, the fact that their unbelief was predestined did not absolve the unbelievers from their sinning in this unbelief. See here, this is the, this is the thing that people have a hard time getting their heart, their minds around. How can God predetermine something and still hold me responsible? But He does. I'm responsible to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and it is a sin against God when I refuse to believe Him. When I refuse to put my trust in Him. When I walk in unbelief. So I want to... I have three things here and my porch is bigger than the house again. But I have three things here. The penalty prophesied, the problem pronounced... And finally, the uh, principle here pondered. I got some alliteration. <laughs> got some alliteration here. Wow. The penalty prophesied. So they said, you know, it's interesting. They said, according to the law, Christ remains forever. So, you know, here's, here's the whole thing. When Jesus said to them, in a sense, you have light for only a little while, take advantage of the light while you can, that's to paraphrase verse 35, he's really pointing to the fact that the same law was also going to be the the judge of their unbelief and their rejection of him. So he tells them, walk in the light in order that you might become sons of the light. Jesus is the true light that came into the world so that those who receive and trust in him would be granted the privilege of becoming the sons of God. So he admonished them. Walk in the light in order to become children of light or sons of light. So the Jews' unbelief then here is systemic, just like ours. They're no different than us. We can't be blaming the Jews for their unbelief when we do the same. But in, in the third chapter, Jesus explained that the condemnation of unbelief was due to their love of sin. And that's our problem as well. There in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light because their works or their deeds are evil. For everyone who does not does wicked things, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Isn't that interesting? People love darkness because darkness covers their sin. This is one of the great things we are hoping for is that the evil will be exposed even as God had proclaimed that it should. So the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets here, documented this persistent unbelief of the nation of Israel. And I'm, uh, there are many references. I'm just going to point to one, and that's what the one that closes the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4. A very short chapter, but beginning with verse number 1, we read, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. 
And that's what happened to Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Burned to the ground. Says the Lord of hosts. The God who commands the armies of heaven. So that it will not leave them root or branch. Permanent. It's a permanent destruction. However, in this word of judgment, there's also a word of, rem of mercy for the remnant. For we read in the very next verse, the second verse, Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, there, see that? The ones who fear him, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in its wings. And that's a clear reference, I think, to Jesus Christ. He's the son of righteousness. Here it's spelled S-U-N, but he is the son of righteousness. However, there's also a warning, which comes in verse number four. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And what I believe what, what you have here, he's telling the remnant, your salvation's coming from for you, but here is going to be the evidence that that salvation has come to you. You will be submissively obedient to my will, my commands. So remember the law of Moses. We're not antinomians who believe in grace. We believe that that. Uh, Grace saves us. But the law is the proof of the salvation. We're saved to serve. So the believing remnant then heeded this warning. Needed, needed to heed this warning. And so for them the Lord graciously promises. And they will see heed the warning. There of verse number 4. So we read in verse, verses 5 and 6. Concerning them. And this is what closes the chapter. But I will send Elijah the prophet. And the and in the Gospels there, the discussion is concerning John the Baptist. And, and Jesus pointed out that he is Elijah that was promised. So I'm going to send, um, send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And he will turn that the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a, de with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, what God is saying here is John the Baptist is going to serve to weed or, or, or to, uh, to weed out or uh, actually to reveal the true remnant. Those who come to John and, re and repent because that was his message. Repent. And many repented. That's their turning of the, of the father's hearts to the children and the children's hearts to their fathers. The way it should be. Lest, he, lest God says, I come and strike the land with, an, uh, with a decree of utter destruction. Well, he destroys the nation. There is a people who have believed on his name. And they are not destroyed. So then Jesus pronounced in verse in uh, John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. You know, we miss that sometimes reading through this. We don't really catch here the truth. Jesus has to go to the cross. And his being rejected and going to the cross is the judgment of the world. Here's the dividing line. You reject Jesus, you reject the cross, you're done. It's over for you. You will be judged by God and you will spend eternity in a Christless hell. Burning in the flames of fire. But you embrace Christ and are born from above. And you begin to be obedient 
to the Heavenly Father. And you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind as the evidence that you have been born again. You, you join the remnant of those who fear His name. And you will be delivered. So again, there's this command. Walk in the light while you, while you have the light. There, verse 35, so sadly for most of the Jews and because of their stubborn refusal to walk in the light, the judgment fell on them. And the sign that John records was that Jesus hid Himself from them. Verse 36b. John writes everything precisely. He said, walk in the light while you have the light. It's only, I'm only going to be here for a little while. They refused to walk in the light. Jesus hid himself from them. Just like God sometimes hides himself from us when we, when we stubbornly walk in our own unbelief. Psalm Psalm 27 here again. Number three, the fact that the, that sinners cannot believe, however, does not absolve them from the responsibility to believe. And that's that we see that very clearly here. Again, look at verses 35 and 36. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, Believe in the light so you may become sons of light. Inability to believe does not result from non-election, but from one's own sinful rebellion. And the irony that John sees is that the world was passing judgment on Jesus. He was actually passing judgment on the world. On the other hand, Jesus, by example, Showed that the one who believes does not will and does does the will of his master, whatever the cost, and is the one who glorifies his master and is returned, and is and in return is glorified in him. This brings us to the problem pronounced. The fact that the Jews were shut out by their own belief is clear from verse thirty-seven. Though he had done so many signs before them they still did not believe in him. The signs. So John 20, verses 20, 30 and 31, uh, as, as John here states here, the uh, reason for his writing of this gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And this is what Moses warned the people about there in Deuteronomy 29 as he closed his, his life and ministry. You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. All the signs. Isn't that interesting? We have this clear parallel here between Israel, its deliverance out of Egypt and its wilderness wanderings and in conquest of the land with the life of Jesus. So in uh, here we have Moses telling them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of, of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs. And those great wonders. But to this day, notice, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And here again, this is one of those references where they say, well then, you can't hold that against them because God didn't give it to them. No, that's their problem. And God did not intervene with saving grace. See, do you see the difference? They're not God is God's not responsible to take you out of your sin that you got yourself into. He may graciously do that in salvation, but that's not his obligation. That's yours.
But you know this, the only hope you have is that He will. The problem of unbelief leading to rejection is predicted in Isaiah 53 verse 1, which is quoted here. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Two things here are declared by Yahweh, or by Isaiah, by Yahweh through Isaiah. First, the question reveals the reason that the servant of the Lord was rejected by the people, because they didn't believe him. And And the second question reveals those who believed saw the Savior exalted by the Lord who had to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed you see you see that there's two questions the one says who believed it and the answer really the answer to that is the ones who saw the arm of the Lord which is his power and his greatness see, see the signs the one is they saw the signs, but they didn't believe. Signs don't make you a believer. But for those who saw the signs and understood the signs and believed, they understood the signs. You see? That's a, that's, that is an amazing truth. So these notice the two things in, in the question. What was heard, the message... Jesus' teaching. And what was seen, the arm of the Lord, Jesus' miracles or signs. But sadly, John records, though he, Jesus, had done so many signs, that is the arm of the Lord, before them, they still did not believe in him. That is because they didn't walk in the light, obeying his will. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Secondly here, John cites the support for this by quoting from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, which reveals the judicial hardening of the Jews. Their unbelief, their stubborn unbelief brought about this judicial hardening. See, here's another thing people don't understand. The Lord commanded Isaiah to tell them Keep on hearing, but do not understand. You'd, you'd think, well, maybe, Lord, don't, don't you want them to hear? He did. And he told them in, over and over and over again to hear, but they wouldn't. So now there's a judicial hardening. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. That's the ninth verse of Isaiah 6. Then he told Isaiah... Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So now he's telling Isaiah to do it. How does Isaiah do it? How can Isaiah make them uh, make this people dull? The answer is very simple. Just keep preaching the word to them. That's all. It's, it, we see the example there with Pharaoh. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but the Bible also tells us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How did God harden Pharaoh's heart? He kept telling Pharaoh, let my people go but did not give Pharaoh the grace to respond to it and be obedient. So every time Moses came before Pharaoh, Pharaoh just hardened his own heart and got more stubborn and willful, and in that, God was hardening him. And God wanted to do that because he wanted to judge Egypt in the the process. So think about that. So then, and it's interesting here, Isaiah's response to God was, Lord, how long? 
And the Lord's answer to him was until judgment came. And now Jesus is declaring that the judgment has come. Now lastly, I want you to notice the principle pondered. Again, how does God blind eyes? He simply gives unbelievers His word. They refuse the word and thus harden their own hearts in unbelief and disobedience. For example, Jesus informed the disciples that He taught the people in parables. This is Mark chapter 4, verse 11. Because, and, and to quote the verse, to you, that is the believing remnant, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, unbelievers, everything is in parables. We don't understand. We don't understand. See, on, on stating this, Jesus in, in that passage also quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse, verses 9 and 10. Isn't that interesting? Another example is in the book of Acts. Where when it closes there, the twenty eighth chapter, Paul is giving a last word to the Jews. A number of the Jewish Jews came to hear Paul, and he expounded to them all day. It says from morning until evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That's Acts twenty eight verse twenty three. Some were convinced, but the rest disbelieved. Verse 24. And then disagreeing among themselves, they left. And when they did so, Paul warned them. In verse, uh, 20, uh, verses uh, 25 and 26 through 27, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your, your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and, and so forth. So again, he quotes from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. However, and, and let me emphasize here, we have a caution. And here's where we find compatibilism versus feudalism. We believe in compatibilism, not feudalism, or fatalism. The scriptures, all these truths, God's sovereignty and your human freedom are compatible. Others, others argue that, that those who believe those that uh, in the sovereignty of God uh, they are fatalistic. No, we're not fatalistic. And this is the point that I'm trying to really emphasize to you. God's sovereignty must not be pitted against human responsibility. Judicial hardening is not a capricious act. It's the holy judgment against guilty souls who are condemned to be and do what they have chosen for themselves. You don't want Jesus? That's your problem. And if you continue to resist him, he's going to resist you. But we say, well, what do I do? Call out to God for mercy. And by the way, only those in whom God's Spirit works do, do that, see? There's a lot to this. And Isaiah includes, it, includes this call for mercy in uh, uh, chapter... Isaiah chapter uh, 63... Is it near the end of his of his prophecy? Listen to this, and, and I want you. To, I want to read it to you, uh, beginning with verse number fifteen, Isaiah sixty three, verse fifteen. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are where where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of our inner parts and your compassion are held back from us. Or for me, for you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us, because of you know, if, Moses, if uh, Isaiah walked up to Abraham and said, "Hey, Abraham," he said, "Now who are you?" <laughs> he would not know him, even though he is his child. 
And Israel does not acknowledge us. O Lord, our O Lord, you, O Lord, are our Father our, and our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribe of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have all become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. And what what uh, he's praying for is mercy. Here we here we here was the preview of the final judgment. The uh, the captivity of the children of Israel in uh, Babylon. So then God commissioned Isaiah to preach his message to the people. And when he did so, he knew that they would not listen. And, and Isaiah here then apparently, uh, and he had a fruitless ministry. But his, his preaching was the means to bring about his ultimate redemption through Christ. So Paul tells us in Romans 9, 22 and 23, What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known has endured with much patience vessels prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for his glory. God is all wise and he knows just how to do it. So the means of hardening is the message proclaimed. Preaching the truth to sinful ears results in hardening. The hardening of the heart if grace is withheld. Any sinner who hears the gospel will harden his heart naturally. That's why I fear people who sit and listen to the message and refuse to, to obey the Lord, refuse to listen, refuse to believe every time you hear me preach. So that's why Paul says we are to some messengers of, of, of grace and to others we, we are uh, messengers of life, to others we're messengers of death. We're messengers of death. And uh, Interestingly here, and it's John inserts there in verse 41 that it was Isaiah, who, when Isaiah saw God's glory, it was Jesus he saw. Who was high and lifted up in, on the throne? It was Jesus himself. And that cry, it caused Isaiah to fall upon his face and cry out, Oh God, be merciful. Have mercy. That let me just close here by uh, this section on this belief. Then, with a second caution, real faith does not fear the opinions of men. Nevertheless, says many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. This is interesting. The, so many of the authorities believed in him. They said, yeah, this, this, he is the Messiah. But they didn't want to confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And the point here is you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, you may be convinced in your own mind, but if you're afraid of men and you will not confess him openly, you can't be saved you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ is what Paul tells us there in uh, Romans, Romans 10. So in light of this we read again the final section. Jesus cried aloud and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me and whoever believes uh, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light this is really kind of, this is his closing statement to the world. 
Whoever sees me, sees him, the Father, who sent me. And I have come into the world as light that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I have come into, for I have come to, not to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. See, he's putting it all back on you. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, has himself given me commandment. What I should, what I say and what I speak. I do what his commandment, I, I, I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And, and so this judgment is certain. And God has in grace then provided for salvation. And notice these four things. One, the, the authority of Jesus in the, this saving work rests on the one who sent him. Secondly, Jesus is the light of the world, the supreme disclosure of God himself. You want to know the Father? Look at Jesus. So to reject Jesus is to reject the Father also. And then those all who reject him will be judged on the last day. We saw that in verse 47, 48. And finally, number four, Jesus' obedience to the Father's will is the only hope of sinners. It's if, his, if Jesus had not obeyed his Heavenly Father, you and I could never be saved. So in closing, here's some advice, and it's from last week's message. Never blame your unbelief on God's sovereignty. You are responsible for your own failure to believe. Number two, secret faith because of the fear of men, is not sufficient for salvation. We saw that in verses 42 and 43. Then thirdly, keep yourself in the Word of God. The self-revelation of God is called the Word. Verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Jesus is the living Word, revealing the Father. The written Word reveals the Son. The Bible is the living uh, record of the living word and all judgment will be in accordance to this book, the word of God. Father, I thank you for your truth, your book. Oh, how I love your book. For it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Jesus came into to the world to reveal the Father, the, this book is brought into the world to reveal the Son. We couldn't know the Father, nor could we know the Son, if we didn't have this Bible. Lord, keep us in the book. Keep us in the Word. Lord, show us the truth. Let us believe it. Let us obey it. Let us walk in the grace of our God and in the mercy of our God with the expectation of eternal life. And we thank you for the promise of it in Jesus' name. Amen.